Before we get into the lesson, I feel to remind you that all that we teach or should teach is basically to remind us of our duty to serve the Lord in holiness. All Bible teaching should be to lead to following the Lord. Sound doctrine or sound teaching, which are the same, is to lead the holy living or it is a vain life or the teaching is vain. So people have much Bible knowledge, but very little application. They will judge more severely for not obeying it, for what they know and what they've heard. So people want to excel in their knowledge. The Corinthians were like that, but they didn't excel in fruitfulness. Therefore, it's a danger to that person. Information and knowledge alone does nothing. As Jesus himself said when he taught all the parables, he asked the disciples, have you understood what I'm telling you? And they said, yeah. He said, well, blessed are if you do it. So he implied and told another parable that if you hear and know the word and you don't act on it, he said, you're building on sand. You have no spiritual foundation. It doesn't profit you one bit. And it said their fall will be great, see, because they've been given more light. So he said, again, blessed are you that do it. And that's why James would say your faith or mental assent to Christianity is vain if you don't have the works, the fruit, and an obedience to prove that you believe it. And the word most of the time believe implies you are a following, you obey. It's not a mere mental assent like most professing Christians they have. And they'll say, Lord, Lord, and most of them will be cast into the lake of fire. And Jesus will say, I never knew you. But they believe mentally that he died on a cross, he rose again, that he was the Lord, and they address him as that. But as he told the disciples, why do you call me Lord, Lord, if you do not obey me, if you do not do what I tell you? He does not consider himself Lord to the disobedient and the self-gratifying person who lives for himself, okay? So we learn a lot as we study. But until it's applied, until it's worked out, it's merely passive knowledge. It's only active when you put it into practice, okay? So in the dark times that we live in, we need mainly the foundation to be reminded to follow and stay with the Lord because it's a very dark times and it's getting worse. If it's as the times of Noah and Lot that Jesus said it would be, well, remember, they're the only ones found righteous with the Lord. Noah preached 120 years. He didn't get no outside converts. His family got in because they obeyed him and stayed with him. But the scripture didn't say that they were righteous before the Lord. They weren't wicked like the people around them, but they weren't as Noah was. And it was Noah who found favor with the Lord. And that's why he did what he did with him. Okay. So first of all, we want to look, before we go into the lesson, at Second Peter, verse 12, 1-12. It's Peter's words to us. He knew soon he would be putting off his body and he would be put to death. He said, therefore, I will not be amiss to remind you always of those things that you know, okay, and are established in the present truth. 
Yes, I think it's right, as long as I am in this body, this tent, to stir you up by reminding you, knowing that shortly I must put off my body, just as the Lord Jesus Christ has shown me. Moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. Three times in that verse, he used the word a little differently. He's to remind us. He's reminding us, and he's a reminder. So most Christianity and most Bible teaching is for that. It is not to acquire more knowledge. People study and study, and that you look at them, they can quote scripture, and they know this and that, but you don't see the life in them. You don't see them following the Lord. You see them living their own selfish lives and doing as they please. That kind of Bible knowledge will damn them further. They will come under greater judgment when God does judge. To much is given, much is required. Those who knew the master's will. So if you study scripture, you'll find out certain things, even if you don't apply it. And the Lord said, they will be beaten with many stripes. The ones that didn't know will be beaten, but with lesser stripes. It's better not to study the Bible if you have no intention of following the Lord. If you have no intention of obeying him and striving to be led of the Spirit, you need never open your Bible because you're going into greater judgment. You need to do what the Lord tells us to do in the present. And if we are off in a great thing, as James said, he that offends or fails at one point of the law is guilty of it all. So if God is to be obeyed, he is to be obeyed in everything. A lot of people will do what they want and think it'll make up for what they don't do. It doesn't work that way. You can be an excellent teacher. You can give millions to people. You can be morally upright, and every, but there can be one gross thing in you. You could be a thief. You could love money, uh-huh. and you're an idolater. And he says, no idolater shall enter the kingdom of heaven. You can do all these good things and then be having an affair on your wife. You'll be judged as an adulterer and fornicator. You will not make it into the kingdom. So for people to ease their conscience, they'll do a lot of good things thinking it's going to away against the bad things they've done. It doesn't work that way. The world thinks that way. That's why all these movie stars and famous people, uh, they try to do a lot of humanitarian good. And if you talk to them many times, they'll tell you the truth. Oh, I'm hoping that it'll measure up when I stand before God, that it'll make up for some of the bad I'm doing. But again, they're deceived. They don't understand God's ways. And if we do not obey the scripture we're given, we do not need to be studying more. Mere knowledge. It doesn't help you spiritually at all to know how many kings were in Israel. It doesn't matter who were the judges. You study that on your own and you get information. But as far as godly living, some of these facts are irrelevant until you start living the Lord, then they're interesting and they fit into the puzzle. But all that kind of information will not get you into heaven. So we have many people. I knew a guy, he'd read the scripture over a hundred sometimes, and he was 30-some years old. He died of AIDS because he was a practicing homosexual. So what a knowledge, what good did this knowledge of knowing all this scripture? Didn't did it do him a bit of good because he didn't make it into the kingdom. And so that's what we have to say. We need, again, to be reminded constantly. Jesus' words, if you read them, 
you could probably read all of the words that he said in about an hour. So we do not need new things or just information. Knowledge is not good for just information. It's actually vain. It must come to us and be used as wisdom. So wisdom is the proper use of knowledge. So people, like Jesus said, so you hear these parables, disciples, and you're hearing all this stuff I'm talking about, and he explained some of them to them they didn't understand. So he said, do you hear that? Have you understood? And they said, yeah. And then he said, blessed are if, if you do these things. There was no blessing in hearing and not doing. Again, that's passive faith. That's passive Christianity. It's just mental ill sent. It adds no spirituality to anybody. And it holds them more accountable because they had availability. So we have to be reminded to stay faithful to Christ to the end of our life. And we have to remind it of a lot of things as it gets darker and darker and fewer and fewer people are going to really serve the Lord in these times. So we have to be faithful and continue with the Lord as these things happen, okay? In 1 Timothy, we're starting now at verse 20, but let's read the two verses before. This command I entrust you, Timothy, my son, in accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may fight the good fight. He's talking about what? The fight of faith, of Christianity. Number 19, verse 9, keeping faith. That means holding on to it. That tells you you can lose faith. Grace and faith can be given in vain and be forfeited, regardless of what the false teachers tell you. So some, he said, keeping faith and a good conscience. A Christian must keep a good conscience. If his conscience keeps bothering him on something, it's telling him you need to conform and do something. It's the inner law. And as you grow in the Lord, it's enlightened and it perceives things more clearly. And so you will not be excused for things you may have got away with in your earlier Christian life. God may have winked at certain things. He didn't make an issue of them. They weren't gross sins, but they were things he didn't like. But then he begins the work of sanctification, conforming us and bringing us under. So the conscience, Paul said, I always strive to maintain a good conscience before man and for the Lord. So he did that. So again, read scripture all you want. But if your conscience tells you you're doing something bad, you're in trouble. That scripture is not going to help you. Okay, It has no practical a value. And then he said, of this keeping of the faith, this life of faithfulness, this Christianity, if you keep a good conscience too, but he said, which some have rejected and suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith. And he's going to name a few. But these were people who knew the Lord. These weren't just mere professors of Christianity like most people are. They served the Lord for a while. They believed in the scripture. But he said, what? He said, they've rejected it. They started listening to false teachers or they stopped obeying the Lord in regard to what he wanted and they suffered shipwreck. It means their faith won't lead them into heaven. They're not with the Lord anymore. He's not the captain of their ship. He's not the Lord of them. They've made shipwreck, gone their own way. In regard to their faith, their faith in Christ and their Christianity is what he is talking about, okay? 
So verse 20, among them was Hymenaeus and Alexandra, whom I have handed over to Satan so that they will be taught not to blaspheme. You don't find the Lord, I mean, the apostle, only a few cases, he turned people over to the devil, for, and they were Christians or past Christians. He didn't mess with the regular heathen. He said, we don't judge those outside. That's God's business. We take care of those who claim to be Christians in our fellowship. We judge them. We evaluate, and we may sentence them. We can excommunicate them if they will not repent because they cannot be a part of the fellowship because the Lord don't want them. He's not fellowshipping with them anymore. And so Alexander, will hear of him again. The purpose is they'll be taught not to blaspheme. They once knew the Lord and served the Lord, and then they're speaking against him, have turned their back on the Lord. And we'll find out, if you study history, Alexander caused Paul a lot of trouble and the Christian leaders. And he did this for months and months. There was years this may have went on. And we'll hear him again as we go to Scripture. He was a blasphemer. He dishonored God after he knew the Lord. But what Paul was interested in, he turned him over to the devil to go work on him. He could do it. And the purpose was that he would repent, that he would turn back to the Lord. It was a strong form of chastening. And when God does that kind of chastening, he makes the person understand where their sin is leading, and it is so painful that often if they don't want to, they stop the sinning of that particular thing because it's too painful. But he doesn't do it regular. But if they keep rebelling against him, then he stops. He lets them live their own life, okay? But it appears that it did not work for Alexandra, as he has mentioned again in Second Timothy. Let's go there. In 2 Timothy, he's still causing problems. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 14. Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm, much evil. May the Lord repay him according to his works. Well, what was his works? They were continual evil. He was trying to frustrate the gospel. He was trying to cause problems for the Christian leaders and stuff. So his works were evil. You don't find Paul saying, God be merciful to him. Uh Uh-uh. Enough is going on. He's simply saying to God, he didn't call down judgment or a curse. He said it's time to reward him for his evil. See, normally he leaves that to God. He lets the outsider let God judge him. But because he was doing harm to the ministry, affecting things that he was doing to promote Christianity, he felt it was time for God to act. And we don't hear much more from him. But Paul is not praying for mercy. He is not praying for grace. And we got to remember that. Alexander the Coppersmith has gone too far, too long. And that's why as an apostle, uh, he was able to do a little more than most Christians could. So God would reward him. He wouldn't say him with his blessing. What kind of life did he live? His works were evil. And he's asking the Lord to repay him, to take vengeance on him because he spurned grace and he's beginning to harm the Christians. And there's the time that God sets limits. He allows the wickedness to go on, but at times he intervenes and judges the wicked to get them out of the way that the gospel can be promoted. But that's within his business. 
So he's just reminding the Lord, we've gone to him, we've talked to him, and he's still fighting and opposing you. So it's time that you do something about it. Okay, and that's what he was asking for. He was already cursed. Paul didn't have to curse him. If he was doing evil works and he was once a Christian, the apostle Peter said it's better not to have known the Lord than to depart from him. A greater judgment is going to come upon those type of people, especially those go into other forms of religion and oppose Christians and Christianity. They will have a severe punishment waiting for them. Psalms, it says, he that is often, it may be Proverbs, but one of the two, he that is often reproved, corrected, and he resists it in his pride, it says his neck is stiff, it means he becomes arrogant and proud, will be cut off, and that without remedy. But notice the word was, he was often reproved, and they didn't conform. And so eventually God's grace and patience comes to an end. And then when he deals, he deals. He said they will be cut off. And that's what happens to those in Christ as branches. If they don't bear the fruit of obedience and following the Lord and doing what he wants and stop obeying him, the father looks and he gives a little time and deals with them. And if they don't respond properly, he cuts them off and casts them aside. They're no longer a part of Christ. And that's most of the greasy gracers and the once saved, always saved people. They talk about their being saved while they live in sin. They're hypocrites. And we're told also that they, they teach people they have such freedom and grace in Christ while they're bound by the slaves as sinners. He tells us this. See, they don't read that scripture very well, do they? They don't like that one. It holds them accountable. Okay, we go to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 10 and 11. For they, our parents, and our people who raise them, protect them, and so forth, they indeed for a few days punish us, chasten us as they seem best, appropriate for what we've done. As children, teenagers, and so forth, they're disobedient, they are punished. They're dealt with in certain ways, so they'll understand the parents not pleased, and they better stop doing it, okay? But he says, it's for our profit. Proverbs says, it says you beat a child with a rod. He's talking about teenagers and, and even adults that still live with their parents back then. They were under their parents. And if they were drunkards and stuff, they were beaten. And he said, beat them with a rod. And he said, they won't die. It's grievous to them. It might leave some whelps. Of course, nowadays you can't do that because the devil protects his people. Okay. Uh, but it says it's for our profit that we may be partakers of his holiness. Chastisement is to cause the person to reevaluate and stop sinning, and you'll stop being punished. It means you'll go back to living holy. But as long as you're in that sin, you're not holy. And the scripture tells us what's going to happen to you. People can claim all the experiences they want. Jesus could appear to them 20 times in their life. They start sinning against him and grow sin. All that don't count. Uh-huh. He'll deal with it, okay? And it says, no punishment seems to be joyful for the present while the person's being punished. But it's grievous. It means painful, hurtful, okay? Nevertheless, for this reason, okay, afterwards, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to whom those who've been trained by it. 
It's got guaranteed. It means that's the purpose. If you're punished, that you'll see the consequences and you'll come back and get right with the Lord. But you don't have to. You can stiffen your heart. You can resist. You can keep resisting the Lord and then he stops. See, the Lord has no bastards. And if a person doesn't take discipline and correction, the Lord don't consider him his if he claims to be a Christian. See, he has to submit to the authority, take his punishment and training. And if he doesn't, then it implies he's illegitimate because the father don't spoil people. He's going to produce holiness or he's going to cut the branch off. That's who he is. And he hasn't changed. And he said, we're to pursue peace with people and holiness with which out no one will see the holiness, practical righteousness. People talk about all these Christian Calvinistic liars. They talk about, oh, I'm seated with Christ in heavenly places while they're sleeping with their neighbor. They talk about, oh, I'm saved, but I'm just not following the Lord now. They're deceived. They've been deceived by demons. Uh huh. So holiness is the practical outworking of righteousness. So if we have Christ's righteousness and him in us, then he expects the activity to prove it. He's like James. If, oh, you say you have faith? Well, I'll show you by my works that I have faith, by my lifestyle, by my obedience. All other is a lying gospel. All other is the Nicolaitan teaching, which the Lord hated. He, and he said, they teach my children to commit fornication and idolatry. And he said, and I hate their teaching, and I will destroy her children. Who's the children? The followers. Those who believe the license to sin, and once saved, always saved, if they're continuing in gross sin, he's going to destroy them spiritually and ultimately in the lake of fire. He ain't going to put up with it. So people need to get back to Scripture instead of listening to stuff they want to because they want to live their own lives. They haven't understood the cross life. They're self-absorbed, self-gratification which proves they don't have the Lord or they lost him somewhere along the line or they got the wrong gospel, okay? So punishment was for the Christian to stop the sinning and to bring a person to repentance, repentance to turn back, to stop and chain, confess their sin and ask forgiveness from the high priest and move on. But you can't do that unless you've dealt with what the Lord wants to deal with. Now, Paul said, forgetting those things behind, we press on. He's not saying that to the disobedient Christian who's going to end up being a backslider in law. They can't forget until they confess and repent because God don't forget. So he's talking about Christians that we fail or we make mistakes and we didn't accomplish what we should have. Then we to go on. We get forgiveness and we move on. We don't, if you live in the past constantly, if you're driving a car and all you do is look in the rearview mirror, you're going to crash. You're not going to see where you're going. So again, people need to rightly handle the word of truth. So we cannot forget things that are not forgiven because the Lord doesn't do it. So we have to obey our conscience, the word of God, and the leading of his spirit. So it's hard and painful. But it brings forth, if the person responds to it properly, it brings forth a person walking in the spirit again and not in the flesh. 
Now, as Paul said, if you live, he's talking about practicing habit, and he's talking to Christians. If you live according to the flesh, the selfish motivation of the old corrupt nature, he said, you will die. And he's talking about spiritual death. You won't make it into the kingdom. He said, but if you live according to the spirit, you will have eternal life and you will live. So we need to understand that's what he's talking about. None of these past experiences have any value if you're not walking with the Lord now. Anything he did in the past is irrelevant. Anything he revealed, no matter how close you may have gotten to the Lord, it's irrelevant when you start sinning and disobey him. Okay? We must continue, as Jesus said, to the end to be ultimately saved. We are under probation. We are being tested, and we have to prove faithful. And we have eternal life as we stay with Christ. But when the branch is cut off, it doesn't have eternal life anymore. So it's not permanent until we cross over, till we're faithful to the end of our lives. Then we are told we're a permanent fixture in God's temple, which is God himself. And then there'll be no more going in and out, ups and downs, backs and We're fixed in God forever as the holy angels that did not fall with the ones that did. They're incapable, they have no desire, they have no nature, anything that wants to sin. It's that they always do the will of the Father in heaven, always. And they're holy, they're always considered holy and perfect, and that's how they were made. Yet Alexandra resisted God, and would most likely at some time spiritually, if not physically, uh, be cut off. He would blaspheme the spirit. He would be twice dead, plucked up by the roots. Hebrews warns about that. You trample the blood of Christ. That means you either reject the gospel or you are a Christian and you backslid. And he said, and you insult the spirit of grace. Well, without the spirit of grace, you can't stay saved. He said, how much greater punishment do you think they don't get than those under the law? Under the law, under two witnesses, you could be put to death for certain sins. And they thought that was terrible. Uh But he said, how much greater do you think you'll receive? It's rhetorical. He's implying you're going to get a lot greater by rejecting Jesus Christ than rejecting the law under the old covenant. Okay? So we see that God simply, at a certain time, he allowed Paul. Prophets and apostles and leaders, at time, if they're following the Lord, they can administer discipline and they can excommunicate and they can break off fellowship from those who don't want to continue in the Lord and are gross sinners and not serving the Lord anymore. Of course, that's not done today because most of our churches are run by the devil, Okay. So Paul asked that his works be rewarded, and he knew his works were evil. He didn't say, well, have mercy on him again. He prayed enough for him, and we see that. So Paul knew that God would avenge all evildoers, and he was asking Lord to intervene now and somehow stop him or hinder him because it's the Christian ministry and the gospel he's opposing, and he once knew the Lord. So you can imagine what Paul thought about this. And so he was going to come to trouble by the Lord eventually. Oh, but he may have lived years and years, but he was storing up wrath for the time 
of judgment, then God doesn't overlook anything. Every idle word of the wicked that we brought up to them at the day of judgment, okay? So then we go into chapter 2, verse 1. First of all, he says, I urge that prayers and intercessions and petitions and thanksgiving be made on the behalf of all men. So Christians are capable of praying for anybody. And under certain conditions, we need to know what to pray or how to pray, okay? And so asking and praying is all sorts of prayer, supplication, that's strong cryings and intercession for other people, for whether they're sinners or whether they're backsliders or whether they're in right standing. Paul asked for prayers from Christians that he would have boldness to proclaim the gospel. Okay, so most likely Christians, again, God can't hear them if they're not in a right relationship. If you can't pray for yourself and have right standing with the Lord, you surely can't pray for anybody else. That's hypocrisy, and God doesn't listen to it. So if a person isn't following the Lord and striving to keep short accounts, his prayers are vain. You can pray for your loved ones all you want. He ain't hearing you, okay? So we seek God in prayer. He gives us wisdom at times as we go on. We know when to pray at times, and sometimes he tells us to stop praying for certain people. He's given enough grace, and it's not our responsibility. He may call someone else later, or us to pray again, but sometimes he he lets judgment come, or he decides to deal more severely, and he don't need us praying then. He knows how to handle these things, okay? So he wanted the Christian to pray and remember the lost and pray for them. And see, God and people don't understand this. Christians don't understand this. God does nothing on the earth that he doesn't do through his people. All his prophecies, he said he'll do certain things he's already said he's going to do. But he still does it. Christ is the head. And the body is on earth. And the body represents the kingdom of Christ in them. And so he does nothing that he doesn't do through somebody. And that's why intercessors get up in the middle of the night sometimes and start praying. And they don't even know what they're praying for sometimes. That's where the gift of speaking in tongues comes in. I've had it happen a few times at night, and you pray, and you don't know who you're praying for, but you keep praying, and all of a sudden you have a peace, you can stop. You might be praying for some poor person in India, some young Christian just having a hard time. You may not know why. See, the Bible says your mind doesn't understand. Many times you're speaking to God by your spirit, but God has the understanding, and he honors it. But in the Old Testament, it says, and Amos, I think it is, he said, the Lord God does nothing but that he reveals his secrets to the prophets. So when he deals with people on earth, he deals with people. When he redeemed mankind, the Jesus Christ was the human. He dealt with him. He brought him forth. So that's how he works. Uh-huh. So he works through the body of Christ. We are the salt of the earth. It's getting thinner and thinner. But even if there's few Christians, it holds back God from judging them and pouring out his wrath. He can extend mercy longer if there's some salt. But eventually it gets too thin in some areas and there's no intercession. There's nobody and God doesn't move. He rewards them according to their works. 
he's obligated to give justice. He gives mercy, but he's obligated to give justice if they do not respond. And so one time Israel was so bad that God said he looked for an intercessor and there was none, so he judged the people. They deserved what they got. Sodom and Gomorrah deserved what they got. But if there had been 10 righteous people, God would have held off his judgment on them. But he did not because there was only one. Uh-huh. But the wicked get what they deserve. Any extension is an extension of grace. God has decided to do that. He doesn't owe that to them. He owes them justice and he warns them. But his nature is to be gracious and forgiving and long-suffering. So he doesn't look quickly to judge people and find what they're doing. He's long-suffering and patient. But once he moves, he knows when to move, some of that comes to an end. When God shut the door on the ark, it didn't matter who came knocking and who believed, it was too late. God shut the door. Noah couldn't have opened it and let people in. When the five foolish virgins did not stay with the Lord and the Spirit did not use them in, in a slept, which is a sign when a Christian sleeps, this was a sign of sin and disobedience and darkness. And then when they come knocking and tried to get in, they said, we're here. We and the master said, I don't know you. But he once knew him, but he shut the door and he never opened it again, okay? So we need to understand all of this talk and love and mercy and grace, that isn't all there is. There's an end to those things, to those who keep persistently resisting the spirit of the Lord. So we pray and we call for God to convict and disturb people by the word and the spirit. People are not saved until the Holy Spirit starts convincing them of things. Most people that hear the gospel do not receive it. They are disturbed and convicted, but they will not exercise their will to repent and turn to the Lord. They have their reasons. One famous person, I won't name him, but he was raised to be a Christian, and he may have been a Christian for a while, who knows? But when he was confronted by some gospel people, and he knew the gospel, and he sung wonderful hymns and songs, he just said, I don't want to follow. I want to live my own life, but I know it's true. Can you imagine the judgment that come upon him when he dropped dead? Uh-huh. He said, I don't, you know, I understand. It bothers me, but I have to live my own life. Well, he did. He did it his way, and we know that that led him, okay? So the person, the will, always has a choice in spiritual matters. The Lord does not overwhelm. He convicts, but a person can turn it out. A person can walk away. A person can say, I don't want to hear it. I can't obey it now. I'm too busy. He can exercise his will. And there's no guarantee the Lord will give him another gospel person. He may say, well, he's had enough information. He can act on that part. And if he don't, then he gets nothing else. See? So if a person keeps resisting the Lord, he doesn't give anymore. But they can often go back as long as they have their brain Go back and remember their childhood. Remember when they lived for the Lord or when they heard the gospel, their mind can start remembering and they can start to act on that and start praying and seeking the Lord. So God extends grace to everyone at various levels. There's going to be no one who say, I didn't never have any grace. They're going to be deceived. Uh-huh. 
So most, we pray for the wicked, that they can be converted and convicted. But many are called by the gospel, but few are chosen because they don't respond to the gospel, okay? If they don't respond, they're not chosen. See, again, you have perversions of scripture. But it is not God's will, we can say, that people not be saved. Many know the message of truth, but they love their lives. They love the pleasures of sin for a season. Their sin brings them pleasure. They're self-centered, but the wages will be hellfire. So the scripture says for a season. So yes, a lot of Christians will try to tell people, oh, you need to come to the Lord in peace and it's a horrible life. No, it's not for them. They found their life. That means they're happy in what they're doing. And Jesus said, if you're happy in what you're doing, you will lose your eternal life because you are made to follow the Lord. So he's more interested in our holiness, not our happiness. The Christian can have joy. Happiness, again, depends on what happens. And if everything's going your way, you're happy. But Christians have been persecuted and have problems, and Paul did. Look at all the tribulations he had. And yet he said, rejoice. And again, I say rejoice. He didn't say be happy outwardly. We're told we will have trouble in the world, but the Lord will give us a peace that the world can't give us. So there is pleasure in sin. That's why most people don't want to follow the Lord. And that's why most people were idolatrous under Moses and turned away. Most of the religions that they had to compete with were not holy religions. And the main thing of their religion was they mixed a lot of sex and impurity and then it excited the human nature. And so when Moses stalled for 40 days and didn't come down, they said, well, we don't know about him. So they threw a big orgy and they danced around and committed fornication and God killed 20,000 of them. Because see, they wanted to go into these other religions. They had a perverse nature that would not be corrected. Let's take a break here.